Before I do, I want to just uh, tell you a little story that, that came to me this, this last night, and and I thought it was relative to where we're at today. There was a village that was held captive due to the people going out of the village would be eaten by lions. The lions had surrounded the village. The people had become very fearful. They had been, the government began to even put a bounty upon them because it was hindering everything. The people were trapped and they were starving and they were afraid to go in. They were afraid to go out. And the people's fear had just to put them into slavery, into bondage. And this little bitty boy, young boy, he would go out every morning, come back that afternoon dragging a lion, receiving a bounty. Next morning, he'd go out, come back in the next day, dragging another lion, receiving his bounty. And finally, one guy got enough nerve and said, man, I want you to teach me how to kill these lions. And so they went out, and here come a lion, and the boy said, climb the tree, climb the tree, climb the tree. And the guy climbed the tree, and he's up in the tree. And he said, no, you don't understand. you got to keep going across the branches. He said, they're too little. And he said, no, they'll hold you, but keep going across the branches until you get to the branch that can barely hold you. And the guy's just scared to death, and finally he just gets out on the limb that can barely hold him that is about to break, and the lion begins to go across the timber to try to get to him, but the lion was heavier than the man, and the limbs broke, and the, lamb, the lion fell to its death. And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, that's how it is in the, in the spiritual. Sometimes we got to just step out on that limb that we think won't hold us. And we've got to quit thinking in our natural realm, in our natural thinking, and start thinking by the voice of the Spirit. And those things that just seem like are impossible are not impossible to them that believe. Are you ready for the impossible to take place at the palace of praise? Then get ready to get in uncomfortable positions. Get ready to get out over your head and get on limbs that you think is not going to hold you. This is a life of faith. Can I have an Amen. We live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith in God. If you have your Bibles with, us, with you this morning, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16, starting with verse 16. Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 16, if you'd stand for the reading of the word. Just three verses of scripture, 16 through 18. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. Brother Bill Marvin, would you pray the blessing on the word, please? Amen. He that hath here, let him hear what the word's about to say to you today. First of all, this morning we're going to be preaching on our series. How many's enjoying the series? Are you enjoying the series that we're doing? This series is on, on concerning the six major spirits of the last days that is rising in opposition of us as saints and of the church of the living God. These six major spirits are revealed to us symbolically through seven different women throughout Scripture. We've been preaching on those women. Remember, we preached on Herodias and Salome, which are one. So this means this is why there are seven women mentioned, but we are considering them only as six because six because Herodias Herodias and Salome are one spirit. These spirits are out to hinder the body of Christ from the manifestation of the last days of the Spirit of God in the church. And we know that that's not just something that we just make up. We know that it's not something that's just a fantasy. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 is a prophetic word that says, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And upon my handmaidens, and upon my 
my servants, I will pour out my spirit, saith the Lord. I want you to know that in the last day, there is a prophetic word hanging over the church that we will taste and see the manifestation of God's glory in ways that the church has never seen it before. If you believe that, would you just give God praise in this house? That's a prophetic word. It's not just something we're making up. It's not just good preaching. It's not just good material. It's a prophetic word. And that which is prophesied will come to pass. But this morning, we're going to be revealing the fifth woman, the fifth woman of our series, which is actually the fourth spirit. And as we begin to reveal this fifth woman, we have to realize that each one of these women or spirits use seduction and deception as the tool or the method to eradicate spiritual enlightenment. The job of these last day spirits is to eliminate the awareness to the possibilities of the manifestation of the presence of God. Their job is to eliminate the awareness of the abiding presence of God in the midst of his people. I don't care what you say, the promise is where two or three are gathered into his name that he's in our midst. God said that he would never leave us nor would he ever forsake us. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I want you to know that God is with us here this morning. That is a promise from the word of God. In the first four women, we dealt with carnality. We dealt with a social life, worldliness, spiritual persecution, where the spirit tried to silence the word of truth by cutting John the Baptist's head off. These spirits were on the outside trying to pull the church away from its rightful position in order to abort, abort the possibility of manifestation. Their job was to try to get the church out of divine alignment. These spirits were trying to get the believer out of divine order. If the church is in, not in the correct or appropriate relative position, then it will not see or experience the divine visitation or the manifestation of the spirit, even though it's available and even though it's, even though it's promised. You and I must position ourselves to receive the glory of God. We have to be in divine alignment. We have to be under divine order. God does not bless those that live in chaos. God does not bless those that's not committed to the cause of getting under the umbrella of his lordship and aligning ourselves up with the word of God so that he can bless us. There are conditions to the manifested presence of God. I don't care what you say, though it's promised, though it's prophesied, it will not come upon all people because all people will not uh, will not accept the fact that you and I got to get under divine enlightenment. We got to get under divine alignment. We have to be positioning ourselves for that which God has promised. If we believe it, we will pursue it. Can I have an amen? Faith coming by hearing and hearing the word of God. However, in the last three women, we are going to see that they are not working from the outside like the first four women did, but they are working from the inside among the primitives of the church in the realm of the spirit. They are in the boundaries of the dwelling of the saints. They are in the heavenlies among them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are ranked with the prince and the power of the air. And how many knows that the prince and the power of the air is the devil himself, the accuser? of the brother. You have three ranks of position in which spirits work on earth. They work on the earth in the form of uh, uh, in the form of principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. And they are out to pull men into captivity and imprisonment. That's what they try to do. That is the job of the three spirits that literally dwell on earth to try to enslave you, try to imprison you. We've already preached on them. First of all, a principality is a state of ruling and it is seen in the form of Sapphira. We preached on that. Power is a symbolic of authority or government or an authoritative governing and this is symbolic of Herodias and Salome who were of the Herodian family who were commanding and self-confident demanding one to adhere and to obey their commands and if not, you would be killed. And then we have rulers of darkness of this, of this, uh, 
this world. And this is symbolically seen in Pharaoh's daughter that we preached about, and it represents worldliness. How many appreciate those three examples? So you have Herodias and her daughter. You have them, and then you have Pharaoh's daughter, and you also have our first one, Sapphira, and they represent the prince and the power of the air. They rep- I mean, they represent principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. But then we have what we call spiritual wickedness in high places that are totally different than these other spirits. These are symbolic of those spirits that are in, in, that are in elevated positions. They're the ones ruling on the inside of the spiritual perimeters of the church rather than the outside. They are in elevated positions instead of earthly positions. They are in the realm and the perimeters with the believer and they are more on a defensive mode than an offensive mode. Principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness are offensive in nature. They're trying to imprison you and bring you into captivity. While the spiritual wickedness in high places is those strong fortified forces that is pushing it back against the church to keep her from reaching her potential, from going past her goal and and scoring points for the kingdom of God. The spiritual weakness in high places is the strong forces which is opposing the church at its highest level because the church is about at the brink of breakthrough. Can I have an amen? That's why these spirits are attacking the last day anointed church. You will never experience spiritual wickedness in high places if you cannot overcome the principalities, the powers, and the rulers of darkness of this world. Principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness rule over the earth, which represents the carnal, the worldly, the fleshly, the unspiritual, that's called cosmos, the beauty and the systems of arrangements that operate on the world or the earth. While the spiritual wickedness, they rule over the heavenlies. This is where the spiritual people dwell, the anointed people dwell, the called people dwell, the kingdom people dwell. They dwell in an elevated spiritual state. According to Ephesians, we as believers do what? We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are the people that is about to experience breakthrough. Are you ready for a breakthrough here today? Those that are elevated in the spirit, those called out ones, those that have forsaken the world, those that's not been caught up in the snare of the world, they are the people that are set in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that is facing these, uh, these uh, spiritual wickedness in high places are coming against us because the enemy knows we're in the threshold of breaking through to one of the greatest moves of God that we've ever seen in our lives. If you believe that, stand up and give God praise. Come on, give him praise if you believe it. Declare it with me. Yes. Those that are in heavenly places, they're not held captive. They're not entangled with the affairs of this life. They're not overcome by the cares of life. They're not addicted and enslaved to worldly passions. They're not given over to a social life like that of Sapphira. They're not entertained by worldly pleasures like Pharaoh's daughter. They're not ruled by fleshly impulse. These are those that have their priorities right. These are those that have their spiritual senses exercised. They're devoted. They're committed. They're faithful. They're anointed. They pray. They seek. They hunger. They thirst. They operate in the spirit of God. This is why that Hebrews 5.14 calls them out in a different level. It says, but strong meat, talking about the strong understanding of the word, belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. These are the ones that have overcome the evil one and the world. They've overcome the principalities, the powers, and the rulers of darkness of this present world. They've overcome Sapphira. They've overcome Her- 
Herodias and Salome. They've overcome Pharaoh's daughter. And you are not even close to seeing the manifestation of the presence of God until you overcome these spirits. Do you remember Peter when he was in jail in Acts chapter 12? There were five hindrances or there were five blockages or there were five realms that he had to overcome to be free to even go into the city. Each one of these hindrances or realms or gates had guards standing watching over him which represents the spirits of the demonics. It represents those principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. How do I know that? Because they're on earth watching over Peter, guarding people, trying to keep Peter imprisoned. Peter was thrown into prison by Herod and the Bible says that he was thrown into the inner prison. Peter's first form of bondage was that his hands and his feet were bound by two chains and there were two soldiers in the cell with him watching over him. Now that is the first form of bondage. They bring him in. They tie up his hands with a chain. They tie up his feet with a chain. They put two soldiers standing right by his bed watching him. His second form of bondage was the prison door itself that he was put behind. He was put into a cell which was also guarded by four different soldiers. So now you have six different soldiers watching him. You have him bound with chains in his hands and feet. You have the door of the cell shut. And his third third form of bondage was that after Peter's chains had fell off and he's on his way out and his prison bar flew open, he had to walk through what they called the second ward of the prison that had a gate. At that gate, there were also four other soldiers watching it. His fourth gate, that had that he had to go through, which was the gate to the first ward, which was also guarded by four other gates. In other words, when they threw him in, they said, we are going to put you into the most inner part of the prison. They walk in to the prison. They go through the first ward, open this gate. They go to the second ward, open the gate. They go to this prison cell, open the gate. They put him on a cot. They chain him up. And in each one of these stations, they place guards. This guy was not going to be set free. This guy was in the most inner part of the prison. But then there is also a fifth gate. As Peter is being delivered and he goes through, he comes out of the chains. He goes out of his prison cell. He goes to the ward number two. He goes through ward number one. He comes out in the courtyard and there's a great iron gate that leads to the city and that was the way of freedom. He had to come to that fifth and final gate before he could be free. But there was also a sixth gate that we don't preach about. It's a gate that Peter had to go through in order to be able to see the manifested presence of God. How many of you are ready to see and experience the manifested presence of Almighty God? Raise your hand. Then you've got to go through the same six gates, the number of man again, that we can preach on that a lot, but you have to go through the six hoops, the six demonics, the six spirits in order to get in to the presence of God. And we're going to reveal this in Scripture. Even though one could be free from the seduction and the prison of Sapphira, Herodias, and Salome, and Pharaoh's daughter, the principalities, the powers, and the rulers of darkness, yet that does not mean that they're living in the manifested presence of God. Are you listening to me? There are many Christians free from sin but they're not operating and functioning and living under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They're not pulling down strongholds. There are many that are free from sin, but they're not deliverers of sin, and they don't house the anointing. It's not good enough just to get out of prison, but we have to live in the Spirit of God, folks. We are not only to put off the old man, but we are to put on the new man that's created in Christ Jesus. Can I have an amen? We are the body of Christ. What did Jesus say to his body? Greater works than these, than you, than these shall you do because I go to my Father. He told us greater works that he done. That's what the church are to be done. We are to be functioning in the realm of the Holy Spirit. We are to be living in the Spirit, operating in the Spirit, speaking in the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God should rest upon us the same way it rested upon Jesus as the Scriptures declared that Zach read just a while ago. You and I are the anointed of Christ. Can I have an amen? Notice where this sixth gate was at. We're going to get into it. The Bible says that Peter went down to the church. He gets out of the prison. 
He's in the city, and yet now he's still not in the manifested presence of God. The Bible says that Peter went down to the church where the saints were praying for him. And it says that Peter knocked at the gate of the church. In prison, he's trying to get out, but in the spirit realm, he's trying to get in. There are some gates that will keep you in, while others is designed to keep you out. Are you listening to me? Those designed to keep you out is the forces that are over the entryway into the heavenlies. It is the forces that is over the entryway of the manifestation of the presence of God. This is symbolic of where the next three ladies are going to be. They are the principalities that is in heavenly places, high places, spiritual wickedness that set in the heavenlies trying to stop you and rob you from entering in to the predestined call that God's called you to dwell in. I'm here to tell you that I don't care how big your spiritual adversary is. Even though we are facing spiritual wickedness in high places, they cannot stop you from entering in to the anointing and the manifestation of the presence of God. Hallelujah. We're pulling here today, but that's okay. Hallelujah. Sapphira, Herodias, and Salome, and Pharaoh's daughter is out to try to pull you backward. But these three spirits that we're going to be preaching on the next few weeks represents spiritual wickedness high places. They're trying to stop you from going forward. Sapphira, Herodias and Salome and Pharaoh's daughter is out to keep you in, locked up, bound, enslaved, in captivity, while the next three ladies is trying to keep you out. They are guarding the way to the presence of God. Sapphira and Pharaoh's daughter, Herodias and Salome, are fighting you offensively. But these next three spirits are fighting you from a defensive position. You know what that means? That means they're afraid. That means that they're no longer on the offensive. You have pushed them back in the corner. Now they're trying to defend the gates of hell. But I hear Jesus saying that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. The principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness are trying offensively to hold you back, to keep you in prison, to keep you enslaved, to keep you addicted, to keep you in a spirit of lust, to keep you in those things that keep you out of divine alignment. But these next spirits, the spiritual wickedness in high places is sitting there, built up a wall, pushing, resisting, pushing back because they know you're going forward and you're making forward mobility and they're afraid. Hallelujah. God help me. This means that when you get to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that you're standing at the gate that leads to the heavenly realm. Oh God. Which is the way into the house of the Lord, like Peter standing there at the house of God, What does the house of God symbolize? The temple, the dwelling place of God. Peter's free. He's out of prison. He's overcome five gates. He's overcame chains, bars, gates. He's in a city. He's free, but he's still not in the manifested presence of God. That's where most of the churches are in America. However, we see him standing in the text of Acts 12, knocking at the gate of the church. This means that those of us that are standing there in front of principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places, that we're on the verge of breakthrough. It means that you're on the brink of the manifestation of the presence of God. It means you're closer now than you've ever been. It means revival, renewal, transformations around the corner. Notice the woman in our text. Let's get to our fifth lady. The Bible says, as Paul and them went to prayer, that a certain damsel, don't even give us her name, met them. 
And she went with them. The Bible goes on and says, the same followed Paul and Silas many days. Now, as Paul and Silas went out to preach the word of God and the rest of the people that were with them, the Bible says this little lady followed along for many days with him. And notice that the spirit we're talking about today dwells in the heavenly realm. This spirit goes to prayer meetings. This spirit goes to church services. This spirit follows men and women of God around. This spirit tries to attach itself to the great apostles. Can I have an amen? It is spiritual in nature and it is religious in nature. Here seems to be this innocent, harmless, sweet little lady that follows Paul and Silas for many days and she cries out these words. These are the men or the servants, these men are the servants of the most high God and they show us the way to salvation. Day after day, day after day, God help me preach. This little lady screamed out these words to everyone that was around. So, servants of the most high God. Servants of the most high God. Talking about Paul and them. Servants of the most high God. These men, they'll show you the way to salvation. There's no greater truth than that. It appears that she's their biggest cheerleader. It appears that she's exhorting, she's edifying, she's building up. She's bragging on Paul and Silas and the rest of the men that were with them. The words that she speaks has the element of truth to it. She's not fighting. She's not opposing. She's not arguing. She's not trying to spread discord. She's not out being hateful or resentful. But notice what Paul does in verse 18. Paul said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of her. You know what happened? Paul rebukes her and casts a demon out of her. Uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. Why would you think of me as your pastor? If I looked at someone in this very service, and they're the kind of people that's been bragging on me, they've been edifying in their words, they've been praising the works that we do as a church, they're uplifting in nature, they're encouraging nature, the words they speak are truth, they're bragging on John and the praise team, they're bragging on Randy, they're bragging on the staff, they're bragging on the facilities, and boy, they're just, they're, they're just team players, and they're our biggest cheerleaders, and all of a sudden, I just point them out and say, hey, Donna! stand up and she stands up and I say in the name of Jesus demon come out of her what in the world would you think of me this is what the apostle Paul faced he faced a woman that had no appearance whatsoever of a demonic spirit she was disguised and cloaked in all of those wonderful things such as edification exhortation speaking truth but somehow Paul knew that something was wrong. And all too often when we think of demon possession, we think of people who growl like a dog, who hiss like a snake, who screech like an owl, who foam at the mouth like I'm doing right now. And their eyes roll back in their head. They convulse like they have epilepsy. And they speak with deep, growling, demonic voices. And they possess unbelievable supernatural strength like the man of Gadara. He's among the tombs. He's cutting himself. And the people tried to bind him and he would break chains. He had such supernatural strength. I want you to know, can I tell you, all forms of, all forms of demonic presence is not like that. Even though there are those kinds of demonstrations and manifestations of demons, I've dealt with them, I've seen them, and we've cast them out that have been to the point like we just described. Yet there are people that are demon-possessed, that look normal, they look ordinary, they look like they're everyday, hard-working class citizens. There are people that appear normal, dress normal, look normal. They seem to be average, common people, but yet they still can be demon-possessed. Are you with me? The spirit behind this woman was so seductive and she was so deceptive that it took many days for the apostle Paul to even have discernment of it. This woman went around several days. Day after day, it says. Day after day. And even though Paul was grieved, it says, 
Yet he could not quite put his finger on it. And he just knew something was wrong. He had a gut feeling. Haven't you ever had meet people that come into the church? They got nothing but praise to say. They're kind. They're not causing any trouble. But all of a sudden, there's a guard in your spirit. And you think, I better watch that person. Come on, somebody help me preach right here. Something ain't quite right there. I ain't got my finger on it just yet. Come on. There's just something about that person I don't trust. There's just something a little shady there. There's just something that's not quite right, but yet their appearance, they dress nice. They look nice. They'll flatter you with their words. Everything's spoken that is spoken with the element of truth. Come on. And yet these same people can put on such a front in a demonic way that you will not even detect behind them is an ulterior motive to stop you from going in to your manifestation season. That's how real this stuff is. The apostle Paul, for days, put up with this woman with a gut feeling, then all of a sudden Paul begins to get the discernment. He turns and in front of everybody, he rebukes her and casts a spirit of divination out of her. The apostle Paul, they say, knew it from the very beginning. Some of them say, I beg to differ. Because I want to tell you, the apostle Paul was not an intimidated man. He was very much an authoritative man. And if the apostle Paul would have had the discernment on the first day, the apostle Paul would have dealt with it. Paul would have not allowed that demon to manifest itself and hinder for days if he had known the spirit behind her from day one. He did not know it. He had to put up with it until he got the discernment, worked it out in the spirit realm. And I'm here to tell you that we as the palace of praise better keep our eyes open. We better be spiritual. We better have our senses exercised to know both good and evil because the enemy is trying to plant his seeds of deception right here in this church to try to stop us from going in to our manifestation season. We've already declared it. We've already decreed it. We said it's going to happen. And now the enemy has set out to bring spirits of divination, soothsaying, into the church to try to stop us. How's it going to stop us? Isn't it odd that even though these devils are so clever and they disguise themselves so good, you know, the Bible says that they can appear as an angel of light. And even though they're wolves, they can appear to be in sheep's clothing. Amen? And Paul is trying to discern it out. If the apostle Paul had trouble discerning these spirits, how much more should you and I guard ourselves and be watchful of the things that's being planted right here in our very presence? We have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful. We have to be alert. We have to discern the spirits. This woman had an appearance of religious piety. She seemed to have a certain amount of reference for spiritual things. She went to church. She went to prayer meetings. She assembled herself among them that are sanctified. She hung around with the big dogs. Can I have an amen? Can I tell you that demons are not afraid to come to church? They're here to oppose us. They're here to resist us. While principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness are sitting on the pews trying to bind you, there are other forces right here in this very service that's pushing against you, opposing you, resisting you, trying to keep you from stepping over the threshold and going into your promise that God has already given to you. You're in a war. Can I have an amen? Oh, God, help me. Can I tell you that anything that opposes the presence of God is demonic? I don't care what it is. Anything that pushes, pulls, drives, drags you away, or gives you an excuse to avoid seeking the presence of God is demonic. Anything that hinders, opposes, or gives you an excuse to live outside of the manifested presence of God for your life is demonic. This woman had a spirit of divination. This woman was involved in soothsaying. And yet she did not appear in black witch clothing. She didn't appear as a gypsy with tarot cards. She didn't come with a crystal ball in her hand. She came speaking truth. She came edifying and praising God's people. 
She was clever in her deception. And remember, her goal was not to enslave you, but her goal is to push you back and keep you from entering into your manifestation season. I looked up the biblical definition of the word divination. It had three or four different meanings, but the strongest definition that it gave was the word python. The spirit of divination is the spirit of python. And can I tell you that a python does not destroy a person, but it squeezes the life, uh, does not destroy the body, I should say, but it squeezes the life out of the body while leaving the body intact. Now, I want to go somewhere with that. The body keeps its form, but it loses its life and its ability to perform. Isn't that what's happening to people that are void of the presence of God? Paul described it in 2 Timothy 3 and 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. In other words, this is what this little woman was trying to do with the spirit of divination. She was trying to push Paul and Silas back to where they would not have the anointing that they were supposed to have. We have all kinds of churches that has a form. They have an image of religion. They have an appearance. They have a look, but they're lifeless and they go through the mechanics without any kind of a manifestation of God's presence at all. They go through the motions. They have no soul saved, no one healed, no one filled with the Holy Spirit, no one sanctified, no spiritual encounters. They have no altar services whatsoever. There's no conviction. There's no moves of God, no outpourings, no visitation of the Spirit. They have a form, but the spirit of Python has brought them to a place of a lack of productivity because he squeezed the life out of them. The spirit of Python's in the church. These are the individuals who have an image and name only, but they do not house the presence of God. This woman with the spirit of divination was trying to squeeze the life out of Paul and Silas by flattery. Notice this. Now, I know this is more teaching here today, but watch. This woman was using excessive and insincere praise to further her own interest. What appeared to be edification and praise was action, actually flattery. And it was used as a scheme to stifle the forward mobility of these men of God. It was used to puff up and create the idea in the minds of Paul and Silas that they had arrived, that they were flowing in their full potential. It was to keep their eyes on their accomplishments by allowing them not to see their possibilities. God began to speak to me and he said, oh, palace of praise, there's great accomplishments among you, but your eyes cannot be fixed on the accomplishments to the point that you don't see the possibilities in your future. It'll get you to settle for less than what you're called to be. Can I have an amen? Can I tell you, this is why that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, he said, knowledge puffs up, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. In other words, Paul says, when you think you know it all, you know nothing. When you think you got it all together, you ain't even skimmed the surface. He says, you never obtain it all. You never get to a place where you can say, I've settled. I've got it. I've obtained, I've made it. Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, I want you to know, in our best, we are still at our least. In our greatest hour, it's still short of our full potential. The greatest anointing that you've ever experienced cannot compare to this anointing that's stored up for you in your future. Your greatest experience that you had that transformed your life cannot even compare to the experience that lies ahead of you. Give the Lord praise for that. This little lady tried to create an atmosphere or the idea. There's no room for improvement for you guys. Her, guy, her goal was to keep their eyes upon themselves and create a haughty spirit. She created the thought that they were good. What they were doing was great. That they were pleasing in the sight of God. They had everything that they needed. And what they were doing could not even be done much better. She was exalting them beyond measure. Can I have an amen? It was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, therefore let him that think he stands take heed lest he falls. She tried to get Paul and Silas to settle 
and make them think that they reached the mark of maturity and that there was no, nothing beyond the scope of where that they were at for them. She tried to create the thought that they had arrived. Let me say this. No matter how good you are or how good we are, we still need improvement. We've not made it. If the principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world cannot get you entangled with worldly lust, greed, carnality, ambitions uh, that, are, that are sinful and unhealthy appetites, then the spiritual wickedness in high places will take a different approach and try to give you false praise and flatter you to death. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms 5 and 9. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destructive in itself, and their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Watch this. This is the enemy doing this to the saints. Psalm 62 and 4. They have counseled only to thrust him down off of his high position. What are they doing? They have counseled to thrust the man of God down off of his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. This is what the psalmist said. Their praise and their edification are nothing but falsehood and they have only an ulterior motive and that's to bring you down. They're trying to thrust you down off your high and holy position and they're doing it through their false blessing with their mouths. Listen to Proverbs 27 and 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A true friend, you know what he'll do? He'll wound you with truth. He'll give you correction. But the enemy will come and kiss you and butter you up and puff you up. They'll kiss you with words such as, oh, you're so good. Oh, man, that's so great. Oh, you are awesome. Oh, you're so right. Oh, you're, that's good enough. Oh, you're so anointed. Oh, you're so creative. Oh, I wish we had a thousand like you. You're the best we've ever had. Blah, 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 blah. And he'll just keep that up and keep that up. And it will cause you to buy into that lie and get you to settle to where you're at. And you'll never reach the potential that God's got in front of you. God help us. Can I just stop and just get down and preach right now? We have a spirit of python. Listen to, listen to Jeremiah 9 and 8. I like this. Their tongue is deadly arrows. They speak deceit. With their mouth, they speak peace to the neighbor. But inwardly, they set ambushes in his way. Listen to Proverbs 29 and 5. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Listen to Romans 16 and 18. Such people will deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting by their smooth and flattering speech. Constant, we could give on and on and on. How the people will come in and butter you up, latch hold of you, and through their deceitful way, cause a spirit of python to wrap around you and to get you to settle where you're at. Can I tell you folks, right now, it's not a place to settle. We're living in a time when we're like the children of Israel. We're stuck in our wilderness and we've not even faced spiritual wickedness in high places and we're fighting around with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness because we're still caught up in the wilderness, the world, and we've not overcome them. And those that have overcome them, they come to the brink of the Jordan River and there is the spirit of Python waiting on them, trying to push them back and convincing two and a half tribes to sit on this side of the Jordan and the well-watered plains and there to be content and build their houses and not go over in the land of Canaan that flows with milk and honey. They would just soon stay on this side happy, content, and comfortable. That spirit of Python was standing there waiting on them. They all finally overcome the wilderness journey and they get there. And What's waiting on them? Spiritual wickedness in high places. And convinces two and a half tribes. You don't need to go over there. This is good enough. How many's bought into that lie? There are people that ain't grown spiritually in 20 years. No new revelations. No in-depth insights. No fresh inspiration. Not flowing in any kind of new gift. Not operating in any new deep level of anointing. They've just stayed in that same spiritual place for 20 years. Why? Somewhere along the way, though they're not out in sin, though they're not captive and enslaved by Pharaoh's daughter and by uh, uh, the rest of them women, yet there they are still not operating in the full potential because they settled the spirit of Python has got a hold of them and let them come to a place of comfortableness where they've never excelled spiritually. 
settle. Doing the same thing every day. Going through our motions, going through our mechanics, going through our religious services, but never growing, never maturing, never having our, our, our uh, senses exercised to where we can know both good and evil. Can I tell you, this church right now is on the brink of one of the greatest miracles that we've ever seen in our life. Can I tell you that there is no stopping point? At your greatest, you're still miles away from your potential. Your greatest days is your next day. The ending of today is the beginning of tomorrow, and you do not have to live yet every day the same way you lived yesterday. Every time the sun comes up, there's new possibilities in God for this church. Every day their eyes are open. There are new assignments from our Heavenly Father. And even though you've not bowed a knee and surrendered to Sapphira, even though you've not caved in to the charm of Pharaoh's daughter, even though you haven't yielded yourselves to the power of Herodian Shalom, yet I'm here to warn you that spiritual wickedness is sitting here resisting you because they understand there is unlimited possibilities and you're about to reach your full potential. You are a threat. Hallelujah. And can I tell you, if you've settled and you're fighting apathy, lukewarmness, indifference, and you're facing the spirit of divination, you know what that means? That's an indicator and a revelation of where you're at spiritually. It means you're at the threshold. You're at the breaking point. You're right there at the edge. Because when you face that spirit of apathy, Spirit of fatigue, spirit of tiredness. Come on. That spirit that's squeezing life, spirit of weakness, spirit of, uh, uh, of lukewarmness, and you're sitting there and you got that apathy on you and that indifference on you. You know what that's telling you? You are closer now to your miracle than you've ever been in your life. It is an indicator that now it is not an offensive move by the enemy. You've overcome them and you've came to the place that you have become a spiritual threat. You're about to have a breakthrough. You're about to pull down strongholds. You're about to change the atmosphere. You're about to pull back the curtain and God's glory is about to come through. And now you have a resistance of the python that's wrapping itself around you and squeezing you. You're right there. And you know what else happens, and I'm not going to preach this very long, but what begins to happen to the church when we get to this level is very dangerous because if we're not careful, the spirit of Python, through its bragging, through its edification, through its cheerleading, the spirit of one will cause and create a high expectation among the people. Are you listening to me? that high expectation will be put on leaders. And before long, they will become performance-driven instead of presence-driven. Before long, they'll become a show-driven instead of spirit-driven because they're trying to meet the expectation that the enemy has placed upon them and because all of the people are sitting there hearing these great swelling words, every time somebody comes in, it puts pressure upon the pastor to be a mighty Casey. And every time he gets up, he's got to hit a home run. And if he don't, it lets the people down. It creates a monster. And all of a sudden, you got these preachers and you got these leaders and these Sunday school teachers and these senior citizens director and these nursery workers. Oh, you got the best nursery in town and all oh, your kids taken care of. And oh, they're so great there. And the ushers, oh, they're so friendly. Oh, they're so charming. Oh, they'll help you. And all of a sudden, when visitors come in and they hear all oh, this expectations put upon us, and before long, we're trying to meet the expectation of the people with not realizing our first priority is Meet the expectation of God. And so we become performance driven. All of our time is spent on strategies, planning, organizing, meeting, uh, uh, you know, encouraging and, and tidying up here. Oh, we need a spirit of excellence. But I want to tell you, if we have more time in meetings and programs and, and all that kind of stuff than we do getting into presence, we are going to become programmed 
run instead of presence run. We're going to become a show instead of a spirit and we'll die on the vine. This side's had me preached long enough. All right, y'all ready? I done straightened them out. That's my bad side. Next week, they'll be sitting over here. This is how serious this stuff is. Do you know the expectation, the weight that's upon your leaders here at the palace? And if we don't stay humble, if we don't get into the presence of God and stay in his presence, we're just going to have a form with no force. We have a form with no performance. You know why? Because everything we'll do will be to try to please the congregation and the crowds. And they'll make sure you hear all the words, the flattery. And that spirit of python will blow this church up beyond what's realistic to even maintain. Come on. I know a pastor friend of mine, he pastored for 30 some years in a certain church in this state. And for 20 years, all you heard was his church brag him upon him until it made you sick. I like to be edified. I like to be encouraged, but I want to tell you something. I don't want to be put upon a pedestal that I can't maintain. Don't put that on me. Amen? And they just kept bragging on him and bragging on him. And all of the people of the state just began to pull away from his people because it was excessive. It was just over the top. And all of a sudden, you know what happened? He ended up leaving on a bad note. And the very thing that he built literally ended up rejecting him because he could not meet their high expectations. The church had become what? Performance-driven, show-driven, instead of spirit-driven and present-driven. I have devoted my life in the last several weeks to praying more than I've ever prayed in my life, counseling less, meeting less, visiting less than I've ever done in my life because we're at a crossroads to where we cannot afford to allow anything to distract this shepherd from getting into the presence of God. I gotta have it. Without it, there's no freshness. It'll just be stale. Without it, I'll be running myself ragged trying to meet all your expectations. Though it's a good thing to visit, though it's a good thing to love, though it's a good thing to counsel, though it's a, I'm pulling more and more back. If you see less of me, don't get mad at me. I can't afford to get out of his presence because we're at a crucial breakthrough right here, right now. This congregation, if this, if this sanctuary represented the world, this con and this platform represented the heavenlies, the spiritual elevated place, this is where we're at right now at the Palace of Praise. We're on step two of entering in. We're at the gate of the manifestation and we're sitting there knocking like Peter. Come on, and if we're not careful, We'll get so overwhelmed and excited like Rhoda that we'll come and see Peter, but we won't let him in. Excitement and emotion will run away with us and we'll be emotionally led instead of spiritually led and we'll miss allowing the man of God to come in and get what he needs. There's a lot to this. We are at our greatest hour right now, folks. There are some that are sitting in the sidelines and they're fighting Pharaoh's daughter. They're fighting, they're, they're in captivity, they're enslaved to the, to the different spirits that are the principalities, the powers and the rulers of the dark. It's our job to get in the presence of God so that when they come in, the power of the, power of the anointing breaks the yoke of sin's bondage and it sets them free. And they quit operating and quit fighting in that level. And they come and they're ushered into the presence of God. Would you stand with me, please?